and welcome to Annual Reviews Audio, part of the conversation series from Annual Reviews, where insightful research begins. I am your host, Anna Rasquat-Paz. In each episode of our show, we speak to top scientists in fields ranging from astrophysics to sociology. Today, we talk to Michael Howell, Natalie Cohen Professor of Sociology and Demography at the University of California at Berkeley. Professor Hout spent many years studying inequality and stratification, but also religion, demography, and political sociology. He wrote four books, including the two award-winning volumes, Century of Difference, How America Changed in the Last Hundred Years in 2006, and Inequality by Design in 1996. Professor Hout is an elected fellow of the National Academy of Sciences, the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, the American Philosophical Society, and he is also a member of the International Sociological Association. Professor Hout, welcome to our show. Thank you very much for having me on. So you're the author of an article published in the 2012 Annual Review of Sociology titled Social and Economic Returns to College Education in the United States. So my first question to you is, what do you mean by social and economic returns? Let's start with the economic returns because they're easier to understand. The, the public investment and private investment in education and college education in particular is monetary. It's economic. We pay for the services and the, uh, and, the, and the facilities that provide the education. And we expect, pragmatically enough, a, uh, a dollar and cents return in, the, in terms of higher economic productivity and higher wages, uh, higher lifetime earnings for the people who go farther in school and take advantage of these opportunities than for the people who uh, stop. And so that the economic return is basically the ratio of the lifetime earnings of the graduates to the amount that was invested in them by their parents and the community they grew up in, in terms of public education. The social return is what that community gets back in terms of the social participation of the college graduates, their uh, their contributions to the local economy, and also their effect on the other people living in the community. For example, uh, in a famous piece of research, my colleague Enrico Moretti found that plumbers make more in communities with lots of high school, or sorry, lots of college graduates than in communities with fewer college graduates, even though the average plumber doesn't have a college degree. So does education, we're talking about high education, college education, anything that comes after high school, how, does education affect everybody equally? In theory, it should. but And in practice, we act as if it affects the high-ability students more than the low-ability students. So the, uh, most colleges and universities in the United States comb through test scores and the uh, tra high school transcripts of applicants and pick the kids who are best prepared to attend their university under the assumption that they're the ones who will benefit from the education the most. There has been, since the 1990s, a series of rather surprising research results that indicate that, in fact, the young people who benefit the most are the last ones we admit, the kids of marginal abilities, and that varies from college to college, but 
the ones who we don't expect to benefit quite as much actually benefit more. So, so um, what does this mean exactly? Because there, there's kids who are in really, really good shape. You know, we live in the Bay Area. We have a great number of people out here in the tech industry who don't have college degrees, and yet they do really, really well. Well, there, there are presumably there is some point at which this benefit uh, or this differential benefit vanishes, but in the real world in which 30% or so of a cohort gets a college degree and about half to 60% of a cohort attends college, it's actually the people in the middle of the ability distribution who get the big returns from college. They have a lower propensity of attending, but they, they benefit more. Maybe the, cycling back to your reference to the tech industry, maybe some anecdotes are generally kind of untrustworthy, but if we think about the giants of the tech industry, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, they all dropped out of college. They were working beyond the frontiers of established knowledge and actually did better by leaving school and getting into the nitty-gritty of, uh, of, of software and hardware production in order to make the advances and make the money they ultimately made, whereas uh, people who aren't at that forefront of imagination and ability be- really benefit from hanging out with college professors and college peers and ultimately do better in the workforce from that experience than they would have otherwise. So let's let's go a little bit more into detail about what education does for the individual. So the the first thing and the most obvious thing is income. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. Well, pragmatically, personal earnings uh, increase almost twenty percent with each educational hurdle that uh, that a young person clears. The person who has graduated from high school has about a 20% higher lifetime earnings than a person who has dropped out of high school. A person who has some college has about 17%, just a little less than the 20%, uh, higher lifetime earnings than the person uh, who graduated from high school. And the college graduate has roughly 20% more than the person with some college and the person with an advanced degree has 20% more in lifetime earnings than uh, than the college graduate, the person with a plain bachelor's degree. And so each of these educational rungs results in a boost in lifetime earnings uh, of roughly 20%. That's that's not the only measure that, that you use um, in the paper. You talk also about right. uh, certain more qualitative things. Um, can you Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, first let's think a little more on the pragmatic returns. Part of those growing lifetime earnings come from lower unemployment rates and higher hours worked. And one of the problems that coming out of this recession that high school graduates are are finding right now is that not only are their wages lower than what they need, they can't get the hours they need, and the long-term unemployed are disproportionately high school graduate, sorry, high school dropouts. And those folks are experiencing more unemployment, which is part of the story of why their lifetime earnings are so low. Um, but then moving on to the other benefits, recent research has 
has shown, for example, that high school graduates are more likely to marry and stay married than high school dropouts, and college graduates are even more likely to marry and stay married. This has benefits for children, but growing up with two parents um, has uh, has a beneficial uh, impact on the life chances of of uh, of the children of that uh, of of the marriage, and so the the advantage to the next generation of the college education of this generation uh, uh, persists um, and hands-on advantages that uh, that are are lacking if if one or the other parent is absent. What about what about health? What do we know about the health of graduates? Yeah, it's it's a little tricky to separate the causal effect of health of sorry of education on health. Uh, in part because being healthy promotes getting more education. The healthy people who are have a healthy constitution go farther in school because they miss less and and can take advantage of opportunities that people who are uh, uh, who are ill frequently uh, miss out on. But people have uh, researchers have found ways of untangling. This by uh, looking, for example, at state-to-state variation in mandatory schooling and other so-called instrumental variables that can help identify the specific effect of education on health. And the conclusion there is that um, educated people are, in fact, healthier than less educated. More educated people are healthier than less educated people, in large part because the very things that, not because they learned how to be healthy in high school or in college, but rather the habits that one develops in meeting deadlines and turning in homework and showing up on time actually are habits that are beneficial once you have a disease. If you uh, are taking uh, uh, a complicated pill regimen having the habit of keeping a schedule and doing things on time translates into taking those pills on time and recognizing the importance of doing so. Uh, and, and so that's part of the way in which uh, the learned effectiveness, in the words of Morosky and Roth, ha- of, uh, um, promote better health. So let's talk a little bit about the differences in, in, in schools and the types of school. You have, you have a section on elite colleges, um, the ones that are at the very, very top. Is it better to go to one of those colleges? If so, how much better is it? Yeah, that has proven to be quite a complicated tangle to unravel because it seems on the face of it that Um, students are right to strive for the most famous colleges, and certainly the admissions applications uh, data indicate that students are really eager to get into those prestigious colleges. Furthermore, uh, as Caroline Hoxby has shown, the, uh, the, the elite college might actually be a better deal for students and parents in the sense that these universities are so well endowed that they give students advantages and make investments over and above their high tuition. 
so that while it might cost $200,000 for a degree to earn a degree at a prestigious college, the average student actually has a $260,000 investment made in her at that university compared to the average investment of about $160,000 for the average graduate from a public university. And so we would expect those people to be making more money and advancing more rapidly in society. And research on the subject, though, has uh, had a has had a surprisingly difficult time finding that effect. And the definitive paper on this uh, that most people recognize as the definitive paper on it, uh, published by Stacy Dale and Alan Kruger in 2002, said that there's barely any return to this uh, to attending a uh, an elite university relative to uh, uh, you know your local state funded. Uh, public university, um, and so it's been a, a it's been a surprise and uh, and a controversial result. There are contrary studies and and uh, and and some that have shown positive effects, but a recent paper by Dale and Kruger say, uh, critique those and and return to their 2002 study uh, or sorry 2002 conclusion that there's surprisingly modest at best and perhaps zero return to the selective universities. So the important thing is just to get a college education. It, it that, well, part of why the tangle is so tricky is that people choose. And in the article, I, I bring up the example for, of um, selective single-sex colleges. Typically, these are women's colleges. Uh, the women who go to those colleges do extremely well, and presumably there's something they know that we can't observe and measure in our studies that is, for them, a maximizing return to that women-only college. And so those choices that people are making are informed by their in-depth knowledge about themselves that we can't anticipate and ask them in questionnaires or develop good instrumental variables to tease out. And so I would rephrase your conclusion and say it's more the optimal match from the perspective of the of the young person, him or herself, is what is instrumental. So it's best to go to the college that suits you. And it might be a famous one. It might be one that has a long history in your family. It might be one that you know, sent you a brochure that just caused you to fall in love with it. Whatever the mechanism that has produced the match for you, that's the, I think that the literature supports, uh, the research supports the notion that that's the one you should go to. So you, you mentioned tuition there about elite colleges. It tends to be really, really high, and it's a big topic right now, you know, there's, there, everybody's talking about the fact that tuition has gone up dramatically in the past three decades. Yeah. So the big question is, is education worth its cost? And the short answer is yes, because the returns to education have been rising just as fast as tuition has been rising. And so to a first approximation, the payoff to college net of cost is every bit as high now as it was 20 years ago. 
There are details that I go through in the article that help tease through that. But one way of thinking about it is to note that um, uh, those calculations of lifetime earnings that uh, that I was referring to earlier are higher than similar estimates would have been 20 years ago by exactly the same amount as tuition is higher today than it was 20 years ago. So that the 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 basic idea that a college graduate a graduate of a private university can expect to make between eight and twelve times more than she paid for that college education. Uh, in her lifetime is uh, was true 20 years ago and is still the best estimate for now. And the returns for people who go to uh, public colleges and universities are even higher. Okay, so we've established that education is good for the individual. Um, let's talk about society as a whole. You mentioned quickly how, how this could work with your, your plumber anecdote, uh, but... <laughs> But what, like, can we go a little bit more into detail about this? What else is there for society as a whole um, in getting its um, its youth educated? Well, one way of summarizing it is to to look at recent attempts by researchers in uh, Texas and California, and I participated in the California attempt to make this estimate, is to look at how much those states have invested in their public colleges and universities and how much higher their uh, their taxes, their um, both income taxes and sales taxes, and how much uh, higher the wages of non-college graduates in those two states are relative to comparable other states, um, and, uh, and also the public expenditures for public assistance, uh, police protection and incarceration are in the in Texas and California than they would have been had there been no uh, public colleges and universities in that state. And the Texas researchers estimate that Texas gets back $4 for every dollar it invested in higher education over the last 25 years. In higher taxes and lower expenditures, they, they benefited $4 for every dollar spent. Our initial California returns uh, quoted in the in the article were three dollars and sixty five cents. So California wasn't getting quite the return, but the Department of Finance in California noted that we had assumed a flat tax in California, and taxes in California are actually quite progressive. But how progressive exactly? How progressive aren't uh, aren't known in the public data? But they then gave us access to these data that only the Department of Finance in California have. And so we revised our calculations upward to $4.35. So California might be getting actually a slightly higher return than Texas on the investment. But the two states, an easy to remember number is that the two states are getting about $4 uh, back for every dollar invested in higher education in their states. So, so what, how does this work exactly? You talk about states getting more um, income from 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 a, a population of, of graduates, um, n spending less as well. So I guess this kind of links back to to the health issue, maybe to um, to family, to more societal stuff. How how um, how much can you explain about this? 
Well, yeah. So the me- the specific mechanisms are to improve the state's income through higher taxes and to uh, reduce the state's expenditures for the kinds of services that states provide in order to make up for certain shortfalls. So um, the lower divorce rates uh, in uh, among college graduates mean that fewer families fall into poverty because the typical cause of a of a family falling below the poverty line is not the the fall in the income of either the man or the woman but rather the breakup of the of the family and thus the reduction of the of the children's income uh and and so the poverty uh affect uh poor families then have entitlements for certain flows of state money keeping families together by uh uh in Improved investment in education results in fewer of those public assistance expenditures for those states. The other uh, other benefits uh, include the fact that college graduates are both more law-abiding and less likely to be incarcerated when they break the law, and thus that reduces the expenditures that the states make for maintaining and uh, and staffing the prisons, and so the combined effect of more income and less expenditure uh, both contribute to the to the four dollar uh, return for every dollar invested what what about what about uh, what you could call you know the the, the mindset of, of, of college graduates um, how, how does this affect um, you know the community that they that they live in well college graduates tend to be more knowledgeable and active in politics. So they are uh, more likely to register, more likely to vote, more likely to recognize the issues at stake in politics. Uh, Political scientists have invested a lot in trying to quiz people, and and mostly these stories appear in, in the press as shock value stories. You know, did you know that 50% 50% of the people in your community don't know who your congressperson is, but the people who know are disproportionately the college graduates, and the people who don't know are disproportionately the high school dropouts. And so people of with more education are uh, better understand and retain the information they read in the papers or hear on the radio or read on the Internet and uh and and thus are more engaged citizens uh than are the people who have less education they're also in general uh benefit, benefiting from better morale there's been a resurgence in psychology sociology and economics in so-called happiness research over the last uh, 15 to 20 years and much of that work centers on the role of money and subjective well-being, but the sociologists have contributed a great deal of, uh, of insight on the, on the front of education, and they show that uh, overall the people who have higher education have, are more likely to say they're happy and in any given situation even, not, over, not only in the overall happiness measure but also in specific settings, they express a better morale with respect to uh, uh, 
reactions, for example, to the 9-11 tragedy, the college graduates' um, mental health uh, subsequent to the uh, the the attack on D.C. and New York, uh, people responded more positive. College graduates responded more positively to that than did high school graduates, and and suffered fewer mental problems as a as a result of the attack on the U.S. And so overall, the um, uh, the impact of uh, of education has been to make life better. Simply make life better for people. Um, Anything that you would mention uh, that people value, typically the college graduates have more of it than than the high school graduates. And when you mention problems, college graduates have fewer of them than do high school graduates. So there's, you know, there's a lot of criticism these days. There's a lot of people who are very much down in education. One of the criticism you hear the most is that college doesn't teach any skill that is useful for for the workplace you know you're not going to quote medieval poetry in wall street necessarily so what do you say to that what do you say to the naysayers and the skeptics the first thing to to note is that the research contradicts them <laughs> that uh <laughs> that that there's a lot of evidence out there in favor of the conventional wisdom that going to higher education is a going to college is a good idea. Um, there are uh, strands of research that didn't quite make the word cut uh, citation cut for my annual review piece, but uh, <laughs> are out there nonetheless that show that some majors pay off better than others. So, for example, the the returns to so-called STEM disciplines, science, technology, engineering, and math, are somewhat higher than the re economic returns to, uh, to the um, English degree. But these are differences of 3 to 5% on an overall return of 20%, so that the uh, uh, what Garrison Keillor calls the uh, the, the members of POEM, the uh, Professional Organization of English Majors, which is a totally fictional uh, <laughs> group, but nice, nice thing to think about. Uh, those folks are benefiting as well. Um, the other retort, of course, is the Andy Abbott retort. Uh, uh, Andy Abbott is a sociologist at the University of Chicago, and he was invited to give an address to incoming freshmen at the University of Chicago. And he said... Um, the pragmatic view undervalues education. Knowledge is better than ignorance, period. Yeah. Even if we never find a use for what we know, education is better. But of course, if the community is making big investments, if tax dollars are going to support this enterprise, we do have to show some pragmatic benefit to it. And the research shows over and over again that higher education causes good things to happen. There are um, pragmatic payoffs on top of the cognitive spiritual uh, benefits uh, that, uh, that, that many people value. Professor Hout, thank you so much for participating in our show. Thank you very much.
You've been listening to Annual Reviews Audio. For 80 years, Annual Reviews has guided scientists to the essential research literature in the biomedical, life, physical, and social sciences. Learn more at annualreviews.org. I'm Ana Rasquet Paz. Thanks for listening. <laughs>